0: have your Bibles, please go to Luke chapter 5, uh, verse uh, 33. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to have the verses on the screen. So Luke chapter 5, starting in verse uh, 33. It says this, they, it says, They said to him, to Jesus, this is the Pharisees talking to Jesus. They said to him, John's disciples, John meaning John the Baptist, often fast and pray, and so do uh, the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and those days they will fast. He told them this parable, no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one, otherwise they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is Better, And so today we're actually finishing uh, our message series on parables for life. And we've been talking about parables. We've been talking about, about six different parables in the life of Jesus. And we've been, we've been talking about these. And I hope that this has been a, a blessing to you to be able to understand a little bit more about what the kingdom of heaven is all about. About. And we've defined what a parable is. We've defined it as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So Jesus would take ordinary uh, things that people would be familiar with, and then he would relate those to the kingdom of heaven. He would talk about things like agriculture, and he would talk about fishing and livestock and cooking and things like that. And so if Jesus was with us in our present period of time, he would probably talk about things that have to do like with the internet or social media or traffic or fast food, things that are very common for us, and he would take those concepts and relate them to the kingdom of heaven. So what Jesus was doing basically is is taking things that were known, that were familiar, and relating those things to the, to the unknown, to things that, that people really didn't have categories for that had to do with the gospel and with the kingdom of heaven. And we tried to answer a question, which is, why would Jesus use parables? Why would Jesus decide to, to use this, this form of communication? And the reason why he would do that is because he was trying to resolve a problem. And the problem that he was trying to resolve is a problem that I think we also have today. And the problem is that a lot of people don't listen. A lot of people are caught in their own ideologies or caught in their own echo chambers or in their confirmation biases, which is just basically, I know what I know, I hear what I hear, I believe what I believe, and I'm not going to listen ever to the other side or nobody mess with my ideology, and I'm going to immediately just dig my heels in and stay within the framework of what I currently believe. So that's a problem, and it was a problem in Jesus' time, too, because a lot of people, most people, like people today as well, had and have their preconceived notions about politics, about religion, about God, and about relationships, And so what parables would do is they would sort of cut through the noise and they would um, like sneak up on you because it would kind of surprise you. And like, oh, wait a minute, I thought the story was about this. It turns out it's really about that. So it would kind of surprise you and allow for you to question the beliefs that you currently had. And these parables were, were so amazing because they would sort of stay with you. They would continue with you. Like when Jesus would talk about the parable of the lost coin. What would happen is then when you would lose something, you would try to find it and you would immediately connect to the story and the thing that you were going through in that moment would speak to you about the kingdom of heaven. Or when he would talk about like the the yeast, for example, and then you'd be be preparing bread. You'd be preparing the bread and in that moment you would immediately connect what you were doing with the teaching of Jesus and then... uh, uh, that the story would continue to teach you through uh life, etc., etc., etc. So these stories would sort of stay with you. The other thing we also talked about is that the, the goal of these parables was, was not just to teach you something new, right? It was also to make you question what you currently believe about God, the world, religion, relationships, politics, etc. So that was the goal of Jesus. And it's my goal with you, with all of us here today as well, is that we'll hear these parables and we'll be able to get a better glimpse of what Jesus is talking about and what the kingdom of heaven is. So the goal of the parables is not just to learn, but also to unlearn. We also said that the parables Jesus had had a common theme, and that common theme was the kingdom of heaven. We talk about the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven, right? I used to believe that the kingdom of heaven was, was the good place, right? We talked about that before, like you live your life on earth, and if you're good, you end up going to the good place, and if you're bad, you end up going to the bad place. So I thought when I heard of the parables and I heard Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven, I thought he was talking about the good place that you go to after you die. But the reality is that when we study the parables, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven now. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is imminent. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom that you can live right here and right now. That's the message of these parables. And so the kingdom of heaven, he's, he's talking about this. And he's, he's, he's making a proclamation of the kingdom of heaven arriving here and now through Jesus. And this kingdom is introducing something new. It is introducing a new way to live. It's introducing a new way to think. It's introducing a new way to interact. It's a kingdom where generosity triumphs over greed. It's a kingdom where forgiveness triumphs over resentment and where love is the answer to every single question. Some would argue it's an upside down kingdom, it's a kingdom where you give to receive. It's a kingdom where you die to live. It's a kingdom where you carry a cross and you turn the other cheek. This is the kingdom that Jesus was talking about 2,000 years ago, and it is a kingdom that is also here right now for you and I to live in. But it was hard for the audience to, to understand this, what he was talking about, and I think the same is true for you and me. It's like, I've used this example before, but it's almost like, it's like me looking for my glasses. Has anyone seen my glasses? I can't find them, right? And they're on my face. They've been here the whole time. The kingdom of heaven is something like that. So he's he's not saying, this is something you have to wait for or ABC needs to happen. He's like, no, no, this has been here the whole time. You just didn't realize it. The kingdom of heaven is here now. And so he takes this time, and we've been taking this time throughout this series to try to explain what the kingdom of heaven is like. So we say it's like the lost sheep, it's like the lost son, it's like a bit of yeast. And so hopefully through these weeks, we've been able to understand a little bit more about what this kingdom looks like and what it is that we are called to live in. So in this series, we've talked about about the, the hidden treasure, which is the value of the kingdom of heaven. We talked about the parable of the wheat and the chaff, which is about the exclusivity of the kingdom of heaven. We talked about the, the parable of the mustard seed, which is all about the potential of the kingdom of heaven. We've talked about the parable of the sower, which is all about the effect of the kingdom of heaven. We talked about the, the parable of the tenants, which, which is all about the price of the kingdom of heaven. And today we're gonna to talk about the parable of the wineskins, which is all about the expansive nature of of the kingdom of heaven. So I, w- I would love to start off with a question. And the question is this. Have you ever tried to explain something to someone? And it's super simple. Like to you, it's like, this is obvious. Like you're explaining it and they're like, I don't get it. Can you explain it to me? Or somebody's explaining something to you and you're just trying to like, I, d- I know this should be simple and I know that it seems like everyone else is getting it, but I'm not understanding it. But the reality is this, this is what Jesus was doing. Like they, they understood The the content of the parables, but they didn't understand what he meant. Like, what was that connected to specifically? And so as Jesus was sharing all these things, they were getting a better glimpse of what the kingdom of heaven is. But there is one thing that they kept hitting a wall with. And that's what I want to talk about today, because they were understanding most of it, but there was something that they kept hitting a wall with. And it was, it was something that wasn't registering with them, and it's something that possibly is not registering with us either. You see, the disciples would walk with Jesus, they would hear Jesus, and they would probably act like they understood. Have you ever been in a situation like that, where you feel like you should know what they're talking about, and you're acting like you know, but then you don't know? So I think the disciples went through that too. So Jesus was teaching and they were all listening and they were probably like nodding. But then in private, you realize like, Jesus, I don't even know what you meant. I think that's something that they went through quite a bit. There's an example of this in Matthew chapter 16. He says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And they're like, oh, I think he's mad because we didn't bring any bread. So they didn't get these metaphors over and over and over again. And so there was this wall that, we, that, that, that they kept hitting. And what I want to talk about Today and it's this is that the kingdom of, of heaven seemed to be in direct conflict with how they understood God the kingdom of heaven this concept of the kingdom of heaven it's like it didn't register because they understood God in a whole different way and it just didn't seem to fit into how they understood what it meant to be a follower of God you see most of them would 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 hinge together they would put these two things together, and these two things that they would put together were meant to be unhinged. And these two things that people would always put together was this. It was it was religiosity, like being religious with the kingdom of heaven. They thought that being religious was connected to the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus, over and over and over again, he kept divorcing these two concepts. Like, no, they're not connected. And I think that what they're going through is probably what you and I many times may go through as we understand what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a follower of God. There's this scene in Matthew chapter 12 where the disciples, are picking heads of grain and they're hungry. So they're eating this, these heads of grain because they're hungry and the Pharisees catch them doing that and they're like, this is a Sabbath. You can't do this on, on a Sabbath. And the answer that Jesus gives is he, he's like, well, Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So what is, what is he what is he trying to say? he's trying to to explain this he's trying to explain this he's trying to explain that sometimes we can lift up religion, we can lift it up so high, we can lift up religion so high and we can lift up the, the law so high that by lifting it so high, we end up breaking the spirit of the law because of our our religious view and and the the way that we see religion as as a as our idol that's kind of the idea that he's talking about you see in their minds in their minds when god says no it's no period god says you can't you can't you can't do that on a sabbath so we're just not going to not going to do that period you broke the law you can't eat those heads of grain you broke the law so you're in bad terms with god it was very black and white But Jesus does something very different. He goes to the why underneath the law. He goes to the why underneath your following of Jesus. And he uses an Old uh, Testament example. When uh, when David came and he was hungry and he he ate the consecrated bread, which is breaking the law. And he did that. And Jesus brings that to, to their attention. What Jesus was trying to do this whole time was to detach religion, these religion, practice, these religious practices, to the kingdom of heaven. And he was trying to point out that by being so religious, they were breaking the very heart of the law. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, Sabbath is meant this is the whole idea. Sabbath is meant for rest. How can you rest if you're hungry? So if you're hungry, you can't rest. So you're breaking the spirit of the law by trying to upkeep the law. This is what Jesus would do over and over and over again. You're worshiping the law when you're supposed to be worshiping God. He was on a mission to detach these two ideas. That's why he was accused over and over again of of breaking the Jewish law. He would argue, Jesus Jesus would argue that they were breaking it by upholding it so high that they ended up breaking it anyway. Anyway. We can do the same thing. What do, what do I mean by this? And how, how does this apply to you and me? How can you and I uphold the law so high that you end up breaking it? Like, how can that happen to us too? Well, I'll give you an example. Street laws, right? So street laws are, are created to keep you safe when you're driving, right? That's the reason for the street laws. There wouldn't be any laws if that weren't the purpose of it. So we can, we can uh, transport ourselves safely. So what if I'm in my car, and I'm I'm sitting in my car, and there's a red light, and I have my family in my car, and I'm I'm, I'm waiting for the green light. And then I look through my rearview mirror, and I see a truck that's going 70 miles per hour through my rearview mirror. Well, in that moment, I have to make a decision, right? I mean, obviously, what I I should do is just get get out of there. But I could dig my heels in and I could say, no, the law says I have to stop at a red light. So I'll dig my heels in and I'll stop and I'll wait there while that truck plows through my car. Well, I could argue I kept the law. But by doing that, I would have kept the law while breaking the spirit of the law, which is traffic safety. The same is what Jesus is trying to do. He's saying there's a spirit behind the law. And you're breaking the spirit of the law by trying to upkeep the law no matter what. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach. And it's what he's trying to teach us today as well. Jesus is constantly trying to detach religious practice from the actual kingdom of heaven. Because religiosity will end up breaking the very spirit of the law that it intends to uphold. You see, not just the Pharisees. We, te- we too tend to live our lives attempting I think we fall into this, attempting to reattach these two things. Like We see this connection between, between following God and having all these rules that we need to keep. You see, Jesus comes in. This is, this is the mistake that they made back there, and it's a mistake that we can make as well. Jesus comes in. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He starts talking about we should all be part of the kingdom of heaven. And then the next question that comes up is this, what do I need to do to participate in the kingdom of heaven? What do I have to do? Give me a list. Give me a set of laws. Give me some rules to keep so that I can then, as a result of that, be a part of the kingdom of heaven. This was the problem with the Pharisees. They were all about the law. They worshiped the law to the point where their observance of the law became their idol. You may say, that's the Pharisees. We're not going to fall into that. Well, we need to be careful. That's why we need to question ourselves constantly and, and remind ourselves where we're at or, or, or try to think about where we are at. Jesus is saying, it's the wrong question. If you're asking, what do I have to do? That's the wrong question. That's the wrong question. Over and over again, he keeps saying that. The kingdom of heaven is not a checklist. The kingdom of heaven is not religion. The kingdom of heaven is not religiosity to where you're over and over trying to do the same thing in order to achieve what Christ already achieved for you. The checklist has already been checked off completely by Jesus. So being religious is no longer attached to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came to detach it. And then we come along and we try to reattach it because it makes more sense. This is what's happening in the parable that we just read. I wanna talk about this parable. You see, the, the Pharisees were questioning Jesus by using others as a reference. They were questioning him, like, hey, I mean, the disciples of the Pharisees, they pray, they check off their list, they, they keep the law. The disciples of John the Baptist, they also pray, they keep the law, they have their checklist, they do all these things. Um, why don't you guys fast and pray? It's like your disciples aren't fasting and they're not praying. They check off their list. Why don't you? Everyone else is doing it. Why are you, Jesus, and your disciples feel like you don't have to do all these things that we've been keeping for years and years? Um, you seem to be doing the opposite. You seem to spend your time eating and drinking. Where are your religious practices? Where is your devotion? Show me some works. Jesus comes along and detaches again, once again. He's like, hey, don't you understand? This is a party. I'm the Messiah. I'm here. I'm the bridegroom. We're celebrating. Don't you get it? Who fasts during a celebration? We're celebrating this moment. And then he says, there will come a time when when we will fast and we will pray. But this right now, this is a a celebration. There's a time for everything. I think he realized when he said that that he was going nowhere. He was trying to explain to them, hey, this is a party. Like, I am here, the Messiah that you've been waiting for. But he he realizes that he's not connecting with his audience. And because the thing that he says next seems to be completely random, almost like a tangent, like it had nothing to do with the conversation. He says this, imagine. He says, no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one, and no one pours new... uh, wine into old wineskins it's like that's kind of weird like why would he just bring that up right now I think he notices he's getting nowhere this is the point he's making he's saying this no one pours new wine into old wineskins right I mean we all know what happens when you put new wine into an old wineskin right exactly they did though we have no idea what that is, but he was connecting with them to something that was very common to them. And so let me just explain uh, what this is. So uh, a wineskin was basically a goat back then that they would use, a goat skin that they would use, and they would pour wine into this, this goat skin. And so they'd pour uh, actually grape juice into, the, to, into this, uh, this goat skin, and they would seal it off. I think we have a picture of it. They would seal it off. I know that's kind of nasty, right? So they would seal it off and then they would put the, the grape juice in there and then the, the, the skin would start to expand because of the gases that would, produce, would be produced um, in the grape juice uh, as a result of fermentation. So it would start to expand, expand, expand and it would expand to a point where it couldn't expand anymore. It was completely ready to go so it was fermented you'd pour that out and that was, that was wine. And so everybody knew that when, when the skin had been already um, stretched out to its maximum capacity, then if you put, again, new uh, wine into an old wineskin, what, hap- what would happen is that that wineskin had no more give, and then it would break, and then everything would be lost. So they knew that. So he's saying that, and he's trying to explain what he, what he meant by that. And what he meant by that is that that the concept of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is the wine, okay? And, and the kingdom of heaven is the wine in the wineskin. And the kingdom of heaven is meant to be expansive. The kingdom of heaven is meant to, to allow for you to, to, to rethink things and to, and to understand God and to allow for, for this to expand your understanding of everything that is going on. But then there were Pharisees there. There were people there who were old wineskins, And he was trying to introduce the kingdom of heaven into people who were old wineskins. They had no give. They had no space for the kingdom of heaven to expand them. And that's the message that he's trying trying to, to share. So the wineskins were people. The wine is the message of the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven, this is what the kingdom of heaven is supposed to do. The kingdom of heaven is supposed to stretch your mind. It's supposed to stretch your heart. It's supposed to stretch your spirit. It will challenge you. It will challenge your preconceived notions. It will take God out of the box for you. That's what the kingdom of heaven will do. Maybe you're here today and you've, you've put God in a box. Maybe you feel like you... You understand God. Like, oh, I'm going to explain God to you. These are the three points about God. This is all you need to know. Maybe you're here and you have a preconceived notion of what what it is. So I guess my question to you today is, um, do you have God all figured out? Okay. If the answer is no, I want to say good. Because if you do, it's very possible that you're an old wineskin. I know it's kind of a it's kind of a hard thing to tell someone. You said "Oh, old wineskin. You know? But the reality is that you need to ask yourself the following question. Are you growing? Do you feel like you're growing spiritually? Are you hungry for the things of God? Are you allowing for the scripture to mess with you, to mess with your head, to, to challenge you? Or do you feel like you've become rigid? And you feel like, yeah, I'm I'm good the way I am and I'm going to continue the way that I am going. Do you know people who are old wineskins? That's not a good question to ask because we probably can all look around and think, oh yeah, I know that person who's an old wineskin. He really needs to expand his understanding of God. No, 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 this is for you and me. We need to ask ourselves this question. How do I know if I'm an old wineskin? Well, if your whole life is about what you do for God, as opposed to receiving what Jesus did for you, it's possible that you become rigid. You become rigid when you, become, uh, when you stop growing. A new wineskin represents someone who is growing, who is hungry, who is curious. So the question I ask you again, are you growing? Is the gospel expanding you? Or have you become rigid? Are you still excited about Jesus? Is, is he still stretching your faith? Is he still expanding your thinking? This is what the kingdom of heaven is supposed to do. Do you let the gospel expand you? I'm going to end with this. I love what it says in verse 39 at the end. It says this. He says, no one after drinking old wine. Listen to this. It's really interesting. No one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. I'm not a big wine connoisseur, but I do know that the the older the wine is, the better quality it is. And so this is an assumption that everyone, that we all have, and that everyone would have had as well. And it's interesting that he says this at the end. He says, no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. Which inevitably brings me back to Jesus's first miracle, turning water into wine. I find this fascinating because Because normally in a in a celebration back in those days they would bring out the best wine at the beginning, and they would wait until everyone got a little tipsy, right, and then they would bring out the wine that was least of less quality, because they wouldn't be able to tell. But Jesus flips the story once again. When Jesus does his miracle, and he turns water into wine, he brings out that wine that was turned in from water to wine. And the people at the wedding banquet are like, wait a minute, why are do you do, you're doing it the other way? Like you brought the best wine at the end. You see, in this case, the new wine was better than the old. So what I want, what I want to share with you today is just that you may assume in your mind That the ways of thinking, the things that you have in your heart, everything that you've learned so far, you're like, oh, the old is better. I want to tell you, Jesus has something new for you. The new wine, Jesus' new wine, is better than the old. Same is true with the kingdom of heaven. Maybe you're here today and you're trapped in old ways of thinking about Jesus, about the church, about Christianity. You're assuming the old is better. It's not. The new wine is much better than the old. So I'm going to ask if we can close our eyes here for a minute. I'm going to say a few things, and then we're going to pray. Here's what I have in my heart right now to share. Maybe you're here today, and you're feeling disappointed. Maybe you're here today, and, and you need a miracle in your life. Maybe you're here today and Jesus seems far from you. He seems like an old memory. Maybe you're here today and and you've become rigid. And you know that. You're not growing anymore. You're here at church, but you're not growing. I want to pray that Jesus will allow for you to begin expanding your heart. To allow for Jesus to continue doing his work at you. To continue to surprise you. To continue to do Things in your life that challenge you and that bring you back to life. So if you're here today and, and this message connected with you and you, you feel like you would like to, to be a, a new, a new wineskin with new wine, and for Jesus to begin to come alive in your life and for the kingdom of heaven to come alive in your life to begin to stretch you, your mind, your heart, your understanding, I want to ask you if you could just, with your eyes closed and heads bowed, just raise your hand real quick. I want to pray for you. Just raise your hand. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Amen. And so, Lord God, we, uh, we come to you this morning again. We want to thank you for, for this whole message series. We thank you because you've allowed for us to to understand a little bit more about what you're doing, about the teachings of uh, the parables. And I thank you, God, for the the hands that were raised today. I want to thank you for each one of them. I want to ask that you will allow for us to to continue to expand our understanding of who you are. I pray that we won't be set in our ways and, and just have a very limited understanding of what you're capable to do, of what you did, and of what you continue to do today. Lord God, I thank you because the kingdom of heaven is expansive and it will challenge us. So I thank you especially for the hands that were raised that you will work in their hearts and do something special, Lord. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.